That's great. Thank you. Um, this morning we're going to talk about uh, something that is uh, going to be very familiar to all of us. Uh, it said that Mark Anthony was uh, known as the silver-throated orator of Rome. And uh, he was marvelous. He was a marvelous speaker. He was brilliant. He was, a, um, he was magnificent as far as uh, being a general in battle. Uh, he was courageous. He was strong. And above everything else, he was handsome. He had all that going for him. But as far as his personal qualities were concerned, he could have uh, probably become a world leader if it wasn't for one particular problem that he had. And that was that he was very vulnerable to a fatal flaw, and that was of um, moral weakness. So much so that on one occasion, his personal tutor got in his face and he, and he said, Oh, Marcus, you colossal child, you're able to conquer the world, but you're unable to resist a temptation. And I think that kind of speaks highly of what type of problem we're going to discuss this morning, and that is the problem of temptation. You know, that problem is certainly not limited to Mark Anthony, and it, and it certainly isn't limited to just a handful of us, but it's something that every one of us struggle with and we have to deal with. And uh, no study of the book of Proverbs would be complete uh, without taking a look at what God has to say about the problem of temptation, particularly in the matters of temptation and seduction and immorality. And uh, it's a difficult topic, but it's one that I would encourage you to, to pay strict attention to and also to encourage you to uh, invite people uh, two weeks from today as we put this whole thing together. Uh, and if you've got children, high school age, junior high school age, I'd encourage you to bring them because the, for some reason, you know, we hesitate to discuss this with our kids, and yet they hear it all around them every day when they go to school. So it's better that they hear it straight from what God has to say and truthfully and candidly than to hear it in any other way. So uh, that's what we're going to be discussing. It's the characteristic, I think, of man and our depravity to mess up everything that God gives us that's good. Um, and that's really the struggle or the battlefield between doing what's right before God or doing what we think is going to be pleasing to ourselves. And uh, one of the greatest gifts that God's given to, to the human race is that of sex and marriage. And uh, it's no, I, I don't think it's any coincidence then that in this particular area that we find ourselves in the midst of a tremendous battle between the forces of good and evil, uh, between those who want to do what's right before God and those who uh, are struggling with doing what's right before God but then struggling with the temptation of doing what seems to be right to themselves or pleasing ourselves. And it's just not in the area of uh, you know, immorality or seduction, but it's in every area of life. On one side, like the Apostle Paul said, man, I want to do what's right, God, but man, I'm really struggling. I want to do what's right, but I keep doing what's wrong. What's wrong with me? You know, is it a problem that I just have? And the good news is, no, it's a problem that we all have. And that's a wonderful thing to know, that we're just as messed up as, as the next person sitting next to you. Isn't that a great thought? Look at the person next to you and look at them and say, you know what, they're just as messed up as me. <laughs> now what you probably want to do is move a couple seats over. <laughs> because that's a frightening thought when you know how messed up you are. But that's the truth. As you look around, I mean, we're all messed up. And that's the nice thing about what you know, the Bible has to say in the problem of temptation. Um, let me just kind of give you some basics here as I kind of lay this all out. The Bible says that God created us with uh, sexual desire. Yet there's two types of people. There are those who have sexual desire and there are those who do not. Now, how do you know if you're one or the other? If you're sitting there thinking... There are people that don't have sexual desire, <laughs> then you're not one of those people. You know, that's the easiest way to, you know, lay it all out. In fact, I ran into this cartoon I thought it was great. I mean, this, is, this kind of sums it up. Here's this couple coming out of church, standing there talking to the pastor. Well, Tony and I met this morning during greet your neighbor time. Would you like to marry us? 
you know, there are some that really have that, you know, desire and, uh, you know, trying every way they can to figure out a way that's, that's right to express it. But uh, as we go through this, the other side of it is, is those who go, I, I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, I don't know what the struggle is. I don't, I don't have any problem. Well, then you're obviously not a person that has sexual desire, strong sexual desire. First Corinthians 7 says that you may be a person that God's gifted to remain celibate all of your life for the purpose of serving God. So, you know, that's really the easiest way to identify it. And the fact that the majority of people laughed indicate that the majority of people don't have the gift of celibacy, but have the gift of expression. <laughs> and um, so somehow or another, we got to figure all this out. Now, the problem is, let's take all those people that are in this category that have the gift of expression. All right. And, and that's not biblical. So that's just coming from me. But the gift of uh, sexual desire. Now, in that group of people are going to be people that have very strong sexual desires, intense se sexual pr pleasure, pr pressure, and... Uh, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. This is an easy subject to discuss. You come up here and you do this. But they're going to be those who are really struggling with it, right? And then they're going to be those who don't struggle with it on an ongoing basis, but in the right circumstance or wrong circumstance with the right enticement, when the baits uh, dr drop before you, it's going to be a struggle. So what we're going to try to, to deal with is recognizing um, that there's help in identifying how to understand what the characteristics are of seduction, how to recognize um, the danger signals, I guess would be the best way to put it, how, how to recognize the danger signals and how we can avoid falling into that trap that's laid out that's going to mess up our life and cause us some undue uh, problems, and, and as we go through it, that's what we're going to discuss. So what I want you to do is take your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5 and take a look at what the book of Proverbs has to say about this whole matter of the problem of temptation as it relates to, in this particular session, as it relates to seduction. And we'll go through and look at it in depth. Proverbs chapter 5. There's no question about it. If you deal with this or struggle with this in your life, you need help. We all need help. And there's a lot of insight that we'll gain by looking at what God has to say. Proverbs 5, look at verse, starting with verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom and incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to Sheol, her steps lay hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, and her ways are unstable, and yet she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your vigor to, her, to others, and your years to the cruel one. Lest strangers be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your latter end, when your flesh and your body are consumed." And you say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart has spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. See, God is warning that there is a, a, there's a, a, a let's say, a characteristics that are involved or warning signals that we need to look at and need to understand. Because if we don't, we're going to be in the same position as this man who says, Man, you know what? I didn't listen. 
when they warned me about this is the way it was, I didn't listen to what they had to say. When God warns us and we say, man, you know what? That's exactly what God said. God knows what we're all about. He made us. He knows what our problems are. He knows what the, the weaknesses are. And he says, be careful and recognize that these are the dangerous areas of life. And yet when we don't listen to him, when we fall into the trap, we say, man, I wish I just would have listened to what he said. Now I hated, what, you know, I hated instruction. I spurned his reproof. And now I'm living the consequences of it. And man, what am I going to do about it? And God, he goes on and says, drink water from your own cistern from fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all of his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin and he will die for lack of instruction and in the greatness of his folly he will go astray. Tremendous passage on warning us about the dangers of sexual immorality and seduction and all that goes along with it. And the reason that uh, it's important that we understand this is we need help. Because there isn't a day that goes by that you cannot see or read in a newspaper or listen on the news of the, of the uh, sexual misconduct of people around us. And uh, it breaks your heart when you think about it. You know, being a coach and being involved with athletics, uh, to, to read recently of a coach in Hemet and, and his wife that were accused of providing sexual uh, favors for some of his players. Um, you stop and you look at that and say, what, you know, what is going on around us? Um, you look at that and you look at this, this article that I read recently in the L.A. Times about Lakewood High School. And this, uh, the, the headline was, Teen Boys Say Sex is, every, is an Everyday Thing. Question is, are the alleged actions of the points for prestige spur posse in Lakewood an isolated case or are adults oblivious to the realities of youth sex? says, the truth about what happened at Lakewood High may never be known, but the claim that some members of the, quote, spur posse slept with dozens of girls and used points to tally their sexual encounters have provoked amazement, outrage, and, outrage and fear. It's not that, quote, scoring sex is something new, but it seems to have taken on new dimensions. Getting to first base, second base, or going all the way has apparently given way to the faster pace of basketball or even Nintendo. The leading Don Juan of the spur posse claims al almost... 70 points, meaning sex with 70 different girls. The question is, is this an isolated case or are we as adults oblivious to what's going on with our youth? One other individual that was interviewed said, well, I think that's an exaggeration. 70 points, I mean, that's not even possible. That's not the average. When questioned what the average was, he said the average is more like 30, not 70. And you read this and say, sex, according to this individual, has become one of the main things in how we're growing up. It's just, quote, an everyday thing. To be sure, many teens don't have do dozens of sexual partners and many don't engage in sex at all. But for a sizable number of others, sex has become commonplace. According to a study released last year by the National Centers for Disease Control, 54% of U.S. students in grades 9 through 12 have had sex. Seven out of 10 high school seniors. So the 1988 survey of sexually active males aged 15 to 19 found that 27% had six or more partners. Los Angeles-based psychiatrist Mark Golston says, part of the problem is, quote, an escalation of everything that plays to the senses. Roller coasters of the 90s are dwarf the roller coasters of the 50s. 
Scary movies are far more gory than their predecessors and quote what was kinky in the 50s or 60s is now on primetime television today. The 1990s ads are more of, more of a time of urgency than the 50s or 60s. Teens are more concerned with grabbing onto something than holding on because you can't hold on to anything. Parents can't hold on to their marriages or their jobs, so youngsters grab for the quick score today instead of holding on for the longer lasting ride. And on and on it goes. Recently in Louisiana, a judge ruled that the abstinence message in, in high schools um, violated the separation of church and state. Even though the federal government approved the brochures and flyers that were handed out, he ruled in his district that it was a violation of church and state because the abstinent message is strictly one of religion and nothing else. Why discuss it? Because there's so much distortion that we need to have a real clear understanding of what's true. There's isn't a day goes by where we don't read something. Oh, here's one yesterday. I heard this on the news last night. University of Virginia... Are, are debating over a policy to prohibit faculty members from having sex with their students. They're debating it. They may pass it. They may pass it as a policy. See? It's one of those subjects. They may pass it as a policy. As a day goes by, we don't read something about homosexuality or we read about or, or hear of someone leaving their husband or wife for someone else. We don't read about molestation and rape and AIDS and venereal disease and, you know, the sad tragedy in Sherman Oaks where here's a woman who went to an ATM machine and she was, uh, she was murdered. When she got there, she was 12 weeks pregnant. And what do they do? They interview her boyfriend that they li that, who lives with her. You know, it's become so accepted in society that it's so commonplace that, that we don't even question or think about it anymore. And we need to understand what God has to say because it's only the truth that are gonna, that's going to help us and it's only the truth that sets us free and it's only the truth that's going to send us on the course that's going to be better for everybody. The problem is that we've got a handful of people who somehow or another have relegated purity, sexual purity or fidelity to a handful of uh, uh, religious fanatics. And this is a label that's placed on us by those who want to freely express themselves in any way that they can, much to their detriment and the detriment of society. And whether you realize it or not, all of us pay a price for it, whether we're guilty of that sin or not. Because when you go pay your medical insurance premiums or you can't get medical insurance anymore, then you're going to find out exactly what the cost of sexual immorality has become in our country, and it's going to destroy our health care system. But what are we supposed to do? Well, we're going to wear little red ribbons and we're going to make political statements during the Oscars and we're going to promote that religious philosophy, but we can't tell the truth about what God has to say in the Bible because we're some narrow-minded fanatics. Well, you know what? We need to be a little more vocal about what's going on or we're all going to have a problem. And we need to understand what God has to say in a way that's right because then we can articulate before people why we believe what we believe and why it's the only hope for mankind. See, many of us, we say we believe something, but we've never taken the time to study it or understand it. We don't understand what God has to say, and we don't do so in a way that makes sense to people. And what they do is they turn us off because all we do is get frustrated and upset about it. Well, you don't understand. Well, explain it to me. Well, I can't. Why? Because I don't care enough to dig into it and understand. I'm too busy doing other things, hoping that someone else will be vocal about it, but I've got my life to live. Well, you know what? We all better wake up because God warns us that there's some very serious problems. And so today we're going to take a look at how can we keep ourselves? How can we, first of all, keep ourselves from falling into the same trap that everyone else has fallen into? Because as we keep from falling into it and we're standing on solid ground, we have a platform from which we can begin to speak. 
But if we're as guilty as the world around us, we have nothing to say to anybody. And I tell you what, the world loves it when it sees Christians fall in sexual immorality. Loves it, man. Eats it up. Why? Because it's like, hey, it, it just totally defeats everything that we stand for. And they say, hey, man, you know what? Don't be telling me about what you believe because you don't even live it yourself. We need to live what we believe. And it all starts in understanding how not to fall into trouble. So here's six characteristics. Number one, verbal compliments. Verbal compliments. If you've got your Bible, look at Proverbs 2.16. We'll go through 5, 3, 6, 24, 7, 5, and 21. And we'll just go through it and listen to what, it has to, what God has to say. Number one, the first characteristic of sexual seduction is that of verbal compliments. Proverbs 2.16 the purpose of this instruction is to deliver, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. It's real important, we talked about it last week. We need to be, as Christians, men and women who encourage one another. We need to build one another up. We need to encourage one another. We need to compliment one another. We need to do all of those things because God knows we need that. We need to give each other a good pat on the back and, uh, and to be there when we're down and to be there and to lift each other up. That's our responsibility, to bear one another's burdens. We need to do that. But there's also a warning here, and that is that there are compliments that are not rooted in helping those who are down, but there are compliments that their root and their source of the compliments is to entice another person, to seduce another person, to flatter another person, for the purposes of sexual immorality. And God warns us about it and is very clear about it. Proverbs 5.3 For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. Proverbs 6.24 To keep you, the instruction is to keep you from an evil woman from the flattering tongue of the seductress. 7.5 That they may keep you from, immoral, from the immoral woman from the seductress who flatters with her words. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. See, it's evident as you go through this that seduction begins with verbal compliments. Not compliments that are rooted in an effort to encourage somebody, but compliments that are rooted in a, in a desire to seduce, to entice, uh, to deceive. It's kind of like, hi, you look nice today. Well, nothing wrong with that. No, you look real nice today. No, you look very nice today. You know, you kind of throw it out and to see what happens. It's kind of testing of the waters, you know. You throw the bait out and see what kind of response that you get. It's not, hey, you look nice today and you're saying it because you want to encourage that person because maybe, they, you know, they do look nice today. But we've got to be very careful about why we say what we say. What's really the root or the motive behind the compliment that we're sharing with another person? God says, man, you know what? It's kind of like we need to understand it. It's a, it was funny, when I was speaking at a high school retreat recently in Utah, uh, they had a game, it was a high school, this was a high school game that they played, and it was, uh, um, it was to share your best pickup line with, uh, with, with the one of the gals, and they would take these six guys out of the room, and they would come in one at a time, and it was kind of all part of the joke that they were doing, but you know, it was to share their best line. Best line, well, what's that mean, their best line? Well, the best line is to try to get what you're trying to get out of a person by sharing with them, what, hey, do you, you know, do you come here often? You know, what's your name? How you been? It's like, well, where's this all going? Not because I want to compliment you, but the best line of the night was this, this kid was probably 13, 14 years old, goes up to this girl and goes, you know, are your feet tired? And she goes, no, why? He goes, because, babe, you've been running through my mind all night. 
great line. So I asked my wife that a couple days later. And she goes, well, good, then rub my feet. <laughs> but it's kind of like, you know, we, we need to recognize, we need to recognize, man, what a, I mean, see, it's like scary. You know, when I was 14, I was like, <laughs> you know, tell, tell my friend to tell her, you know, ask her, are your feet tired? You know, it's like, man. But the point is that we need to understand there's a danger, there's a danger to our complimenting of one another. And we've got to ask ourselves a tough question. Why do I compliment the people that I compliment? Are there certain people or individuals that I compliment in a way that's different than anybody else that I compliment? And you have to ask yourself why. Are there people maybe around your office, men, women, that you compliment in ways that are different than everybody else? Or in ways that are different than what God says is appropriate behavior in ways to compliment? So we've got to ask ourselves some questions because we're playing, we're playing a very serious game here that has tremendous consequences, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But we need to be careful about how we speak to one another. What game are we playing? Because the second thing is, those verbal compliments inevitably lead to sensual conversations. It starts out with what we think is a, you know, a harmless compliment. But see, if the root of the compliment is to entice or deceive or seduce, then the next, the, the next problem is only you know, just a, a few conversations away. And that is, depending on the response you get of the bait that you throw out, then all of a sudden it deteriorates to this. In, in uh, Proverbs 7, 16 through 18, listen to what God has to say about this. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloes and uh, cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Here's a gal that is uh, not complimenting this young man anymore, but the uh, conversation has lent, it lent, has lent itself to one of seduction. It's not, how are you doing? You look nice. It's, hey, you know what? Let's have sex. And that's exactly what she's saying. Why don't you come over and I've got everything ready. We're going to have a great night tonight and let's jump in the sack. And let's make love, is what she's saying here, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Hey, let's just have sex all night. That's what we're going to do. And she's throwing this out to this naive young man who is like, oh, you're kidding. Whoa. And God's warning, hey, you know what? While that may be your fantasy, if that becomes a reality in your life, you better run from it because you're heading into danger zone, buddy. And we need to understand that because this is a very serious problem. Sensual conversations are no longer those where there is a hidden meaning to what's being said, but it's blatant and it's obvious and it's bold and it's brazen and it's no escaping from it because that's exactly what it is. And there are many of us that are playing that game. And it's just a matter of waiting to see what kind of response takes place. God says we need to be careful about that because this conversation is not rooted in anything other than the purpose of having sex with another person. And if you don't think that sensual conversation, you know, and there's a lot of ways to do it too. You know, how do you think these, these uh, what are they, 976, 900, whatever kind of phone numbers they are, these, uh, these sexual ex sexually explicit phone conversations that you can call and people talk dirty to you? I mean, what's the purpose of that? Hey, listen, if that didn't turn people on and sexually explicit conversations didn't arouse the curiosity of the sin nature that we have, uh, then guess what? No one would be calling them. There's something to be said about that. 
And so we also need to be aware of the danger that's involved in such conversations, and there should, not, there should never be a conversation that takes place between believers or in the, in the presence of a believer that has to do anything with sexu sexually explicit conversation, you know, whether it's testing, whether it's flirting, whether it's teasing, whether it's telling dirty jokes at the office or in the locker room or wherever. Hey, man, that's, there's no place in, in, in the, in the uh, vocabulary or conversation of, of a man or woman of God for any of that nonsense because all we're doing is we're falling into this trap and these are characteristics of seduction and God says, I want to warn you about this because if you're flirting, you're teasing, you're playing those stupid games, then the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to find yourself in all kind of hot water and then you're going to say, man, how I hated instruction and how I spurned reproof. What a stupid person I was. Number three, it also involves weak commitments. The characteristics of seduction involve weak commitments. There's an instability in the life of those who fall, whether you fall into it, whether you run into it, whether you jump into it, whether you leap into it. Well, however you fall into sexual immorality, there at the root of all of it are weak commitments. And in Proverbs 5, 6, uh, God says this, Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable, and you do not know them. He's warning this young man, saying, hey, look, don't fall for this sweet talk of this gal. Don't fall for these compliments. Don't fall for the sensual conversation. Don't fall for any of this. Because let me tell you something about her that you don't know. She is unstable. She's a looney tune. She's got some problems. She's Glenn Close. <laughs> Not the Glenn Close, but the character she played in Fatal Attraction. I mean, she's, nut she's a nutcake. And you think you're just going to go off and secretly do something and you're not going to have any ramifications or consequences. You're living in a dream world, you idiot. Living version. <laughs> That's true. God says, man, you better wake up before it's too late. Proverbs 7.11. She's loud, she's rebellious, and her feet would not stay at home. Now, I think this is interesting because guess what? God's not talking about some uh, street-side prostitute here. He's talking about, you know, a wife. He's talking about a homemaker. He's talking about a mother. He's talking about a woman that's married. She won't stay at home. Her husband's gone on a business trip. She's unstable. Uh, Proverbs 7, 19 and 20. My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long trip. He's taken a bag of money with him, and he'll come again on an appropriate day. Man, he is gone. I know when he's coming back. We don't even have anything to worry about. This guy's out of town. He's on a business trip. Come on over. Let's have sex. God says, man, you know what? There's a weak commitment that's involved. The weak commitment starts with this woman to her husband. There's no commitment there. But for this man who is a man of God, the commitment level that he has to have is, I can't do what's wrong before God. I've got to do what's right. See, it's a sign of instability in the life of a believer who is living in sexual immorality of any kind. There's something wrong there. And in fact, what it is, it's spiritual. In fact, let me add this to it. I don't have it on here. But number four, the fourth characteristic is spiritual confusion. Spiritual confusion. I want to address this and I want to talk about it because if you're a Christian, then this applies to you and to, and to me. Many of us can easily rationalize, justify, make excuses for some of the most wrongful behavior that the Bible warns us against. And we can do it in ways that deceives ourselves into thinking that, hey, you know what? I'm still right with God. 
and there's not a problem in my life. For those that know the Bible, they look at men, they look at guys like David, and they say, look, hey, David committed adultery, you know, and God still calls him a man after his own heart. We read the Bible and we say, hey, you know what? It's, it's by grace that we're saved, man, through faith. It's not how we live that's important. It's the fact that Jesus died for us. Hallelujah. Praise God. And that's true. And we say things like, but, you know, God will forgive me for it. And we continue on doing things that we know are wrong before God, but we somehow or another are so confused by what we're doing that we think it's okay and there's not a problem there. And God says, man, you know what? You are spiritually confused when you're at that level. This woman says in Proverbs 7:14, I have peace offerings with me. Today I've paid my vows. Man, you know what? Everything's right with me before God. You know, I don't have a problem before God. There's not a problem here in my life. 7:15, so I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. She says in one out of one side of her mouth, "Hey, you know what? Hey, I'm a Christian. Everything's right with me and God." And out of the other side of her mouth, she's saying, "Hey, come on over and let's have sex while my husband's out of town." And we sit and we smile and we smirk and we giggle about how stupid that is. And yet we are just as guilty of the same thing. And let's just take it, the whole scale of everything that God tells us about. Everything that we've studied so far. Out of one side of our mouth we say, hey, we're right before God. And on the other side of our mouth we are critical, we're backstabbing, we're, we're, um, we're intensely persecuting toward other believers. And all this kind of garbage comes out. One side of our mouth we say, hey, we're right with God. And the other side of our mouth we lie in our daily conversations one side of our mouth, we say, hey, you know what? Everything's great with God. Hey, I'm going to church, Bible study, got that group going, everything's going great. The other side of our mouth, we're cheating, lying, and stealing every day of our life. One side of our mouth, I'm right before God. The other side of our mouth is, hey, we're single and we're having sex, but hey, you know what? Well, it's just one partner, you know, it's not multi-tool, so yeah, blah, 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 and we're doing this, that, the other thing, it's okay. Out of one side of our mouth, we want to live what's right before God. Now, the other side of our mouth, hey, we're flirting, we're talking dirty with the secretary at work, we're doing this, that, and the other thing, and this is all going on. See, we are really messed up people. One side of the mouth, she says, hey, I'm right with God. The other side, come on over and let's have sex all night. You see what's happening here? There's a spiritual confusion that takes place in the life of the believer and more so in the area of sexual immorality than anything else because it is the only sin according to the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6 gives it in detail that you sin against your own body and it's not outside of yourself. God said there is something so confusing about being involved in sexual immorality that when you're involved in it, there's no way in the world that you can clearly see what you're doing is wrong, and that's why you need accountability of those outside of you. That's why we have to have an objective standard of the Word of God that we look at and we must reflect what God says rather than making this reflect what we're doing. And if we do not, we're in deep trouble, and the consequences will follow. And what God is saying is it's very easy for Christians to read the Bible, to know it, to study it, and look at all those who are flawed all throughout Scripture and say, hey, David did it, so I'll do it, and I'll ask God for forgiveness. Solomon did it. He had 300 wives. He had 600, 800 concubines, mistresses, man. He had more women than anybody could ever, ever even dare to want to have in a lifetime. And he had them all. And we look at it and say, well, hey, he was a godly man. And yet, you know what we do? We say that and then we ignore all of the consequences that took place in their life because of this flaw in their life. We ignore all the problems that David had from that day on in his kingdom and with his own sons and his own children and the problems that took place in his family. We ignore all of that. 
We ignore everything that God warned Solomon about. Don't multiply wives. Don't multiply weapons. Don't do these things because in the day that you do all those things, everything will be removed from you. And you're going to live an absolute nightmare because of it. We ignore all the consequences. And that's just a sign of spiritual confusion. We need to understand that. Number four, or actually this would be number five. We also must understand that a characteristic of seduction is that of immodest clothing. Immodest clothing. You know, I want to I come back to the spiritual confusion thing. Well, maybe next time we get together because there are some very real questions that are being asked by high school kids, by college students, by single people. Uh, I, had a, I had a mother of a high school uh, uh, student come to me once and she said, Hey, you know what? Um, you know, we're having this conversation with our son and, you know, it's a very difficult conversation, but it's kind of like, hey, what's wrong? I mean, at what point or where do we cross the line in our sexual activity with those who we're dating, those who, you know, we, we're becoming close with? At what point does it start to become a problem? And that's a very real and, and a very honest question. And she said, you know, we play these, these that's this is a sign of spiritual confusion, we play this games. you know, it's kind of like first base, second base, home run, you know, well, you know, if you go to first base, it's okay, second base, okay, third base, okay, but if you hit a home run, then that's, that's a sin, that's wrong before God. You know, what's right, what's wrong? And you know what's amazing to me, and it's not really that surprising because of what God has to say, is that there's these gymnastics take place in our own mind as far as what's right and what's wrong. And all of us at some point in our life have uh, drawn lines and said, oh, this is okay to this point. Anything beyond that is wrong. But once we get close to that line, we don't see it. It becomes obscure, so the line changes and it moves back a little bit further. And so what used to be wrong is no longer wrong, and what we thought was going to be wrong isn't wrong. And then, you know, we're, we're so far beyond it that uh, in the heat of passion, we don't even recognize what line. You know, what are you talking about? And there's a debate even in the high school program at our church and at churches all around us with kids that are saying, hey, is it wrong to French kiss? Is it wrong to have oral sex? Is it wrong to uh, manipulate and stimulate one another sexually? Are those things wrong or is just sexual intercourse wrong? Those are very real questions and they're being asked by your kids and we need to deal with it and address it. What's wrong? What's right? Well, the Bible is very clear and this is the one thing that I throw back to everybody and that is this. If you have to ask whether something's right or wrong, then it's wrong. That's about as good a safety device that God can give you. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, when you reach a certain point in a relationship, you're going to be convicted about it, and you better not ignore that conviction because once you do and become callous to it, then nothing's going to seem right or wrong anymore. And if you have to ask if this is wrong, then it is. Because James 4.17 says this, To him that knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. See, we need to be very clear. and We need to teach this with honesty, with candidness, and to deal with the issues that are out there. Because what's happening in Lakewood High School is not unique in our country. And it's certainly not unique in this county. And it's not unique to Christians or non-Christians. It's a very real problem that, that is dispersed all throughout society. Spiritual confusion you can identify it with the type of questions that we're asking. Is this wrong? What are you hoping? Someone will say, no, that's not wrong, but this is wrong. Hey, you know what? There's no easy answer like that, is there? It's like, how much should I tithe? Everybody wants to know a number because no one wants to give any more than they have to. Isn't that the truth? No one argues about how much a tithe is so they can say, I want to give more than that. It's like, man, I'm just getting close to that. 
All right. You know, and that's what we want. We want limits. We want boundaries. We want limitations. We want lines to be drawn. Not so that we can exceed those in a positive way, but so we can push right up against them, man. I mean, it's like telling your kids, don't go past the mailbox in your street. Man, those little guys are down there right at that mailbox, nose pushed up against it. Man, they're like every way they can. They want to get right on past it, don't they? You know, they don't want limits so they can say, watch this, I'm going to stay 50 feet on this side of the mailbox. Because I don't need that kind of boundary in my life. Hey, you know what? That's why God gives us very explicit information. He says, these are the boundaries and you better not cross these lines. Because once you do, you've gone past the mailbox and the consequences kick in. Immodest clothing. I'm not going to rush through this. There's too much good stuff. We'll just have to close here. We've got enough problems to have to deal with this coming week and in the next week. So let's just concentrate on this. Let's work on how we complement one another. Let's be encouraging. Let's compliment one another. Let's do so in a way that has no hidden motive, no hidden agenda, no sexual innuendos of any kind. Let's uh, work on our sensual conversations. The only place you should talk sensual is to your spouse. And maybe you ought to try that sometime because it probably still work on him or her. <laughs> you don't respond like the gal at the office. Well, you don't talk to me like you talk to her. You stinking took me to lunch every day and bought me nice presents. I'd respond to you too, you big dummy. You know? In fact, if you remember, that's why I said I'd marry you. <laughs> you know? Speaking of anniversaries, today is our 18th wedding anniversary. And I couldn't think of... Thank you very much. God bless my wife because, man, I'll tell you what, there's no one else in the world that could have put up with me for 18 years. Amen, amen. Thanks. Thanks, ladies. All right, let's see. What else can we work on? Oh, how about our commitments to one another? If you're married, how about just being committed to your spouse? That's a good idea, huh? Something different. Let's not play games with other people. Let's just play games with our spouse. Let's have all the fun in the world as we do that because that's right before God. And the most important commitment that we can have is the commitment that we have to do what's right before God. If God says it, I'm going to do it, whether I understand it, whether I even accept it, whether I appreciate it, whether I appreciate his love and concern for me, those aren't really the issue, are they? Because as any parent knows, those who love their children and want to do what's best for them give their children guidelines, give them direction, give them uh, boundaries. And our kids don't have a clue sometimes why we do it. But we know we love them, and we know we want to do what's best for them. And you know what? And how much more so does God, who is a perfect father, want to do for his kids? We need to just start believing what he has to say. And uh, let's be committed to him and to his word and the way we conduct ourselves in the area of personal integrity and purity and morality. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to be together. We just thank you that uh, your word is very explicit that it's candid, that it is practical, that it's real, and it's truthful above all. God, help us to see where we fall short as we fall into this trap of uh, seduction. God, where we're guilty of these characteristics, may we confess them, agree with you that they're wrong, may we repent from them and just stop doing them. God, help us to see that you care for us more than we'll ever know or understand. God, we just thank you as we look forward to this week as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That he is God, that he is risen, that he's alive today, and that he wants to give hope and direction in the lives of those who have no hope. God, may we never forget that message that Jesus is alive, 
And there's no other, quote, religious leader that had ever lived on the face of the earth that makes the same claim. Not only is he alive, but he is alive through us and in us if we have come to believe in him and trust in him. God, we just thank you for the presence of your spirit, that he indwells every believer, that he gives us the power and the courage and the control to do what's right before you, particularly in the area of sexual practices and behaviors. God, we need help. And we just thank you that you give it to us when we allow you to live through us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's real. Thank you that it works. And thank you that it prevents or protects us from the consequences of disobedience. God, we just thank you for all these things and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.